You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Hoop and holler, you already know what it is, man. I was finna go to sleep. It's a cool 10.30 at night, but, you know, these fools had to roll me out of bed because we got a podcast to record. Tuesday's not going to work. Thursday's not going to work. Friday's not going to work. Julio going to Catalina Island, living it up. So, you know what? As tired as I am, I'm here, and we're going to get it done, man. How y'all feeling today? I appreciate you. I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I uh, I just news for the group for everybody. I passed my real estate exam today. Yeah. Yes, okay, sir. okay. I, 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 I had to drive to San Diego. I was gonna have to drive to Sacramento and take it, just because there's no spots here in LA. But found one in San Diego. We took it. We passed it, and you know. Now we get. So to- you drove to San Diego today and like came back and everything. Yeah, I, I'm exhausted wow. today. I'm exhausted right now. Mm. Congratulations. So, so now we get the hookup, right? I just moved into yeah. a new apartment, but when I get my next one, like I get the, you know, the Rahulio slide package, you know what I'm saying? I get the I get the discount. Yeah. <laughs> Hooping holiday discount. Sure, always, bro. Always. What about you, Eddie? Um, you know, we just uh ran fives earlier today. Like the first fives I think I've ran in like fifteen months, maybe. So mm. obviously Gonna be a little sore and a little tired afterwards. Definitely fun though. Glad that things are opening up. Speaking of things, are supposed to open up tomorrow, right? June fifteenth. I thought they moved. That'd be the day. Did they move it? I, I thought it was did. just tomorrow. But I don't know. I mean, uh, stuff yeah. already feels open anyway. Like I like, there's yet to be an establishment that I wanted to go to that I couldn't go to because it wasn't open. So like, what's yeah. the difference? That's supposed to be like no masks or. Yeah, I, I think that that's what it is. Ah, got you, got you. Well, well, time can only tell, but that's besides the point. Let's go ahead and jump into some NBA basketball. Um, we got, I guess, four series, but one of them is no longer a series. It's been decided, so why don't we start there? The Phoenix Suns versus the Denver Nuggets. Clean sweep out of Phoenix. Nuggets didn't stand a chance. That guard play, you know, you ain't got that. It's hard to beat that Suns team. So, what were you guys' thoughts on this series? Were you surprised that the Nuggets couldn't get a single game off, or was that the result you expected? I see. Okay, I, I'm not gonna say it's the result I expected because I, I didn't predict the sweep. But is it surprising? Not really at all. Uh, with the absence of Jamal Murray, you mentioned it. The guard play is just nowhere close. Um, to to Phoenix's and you know Phoenix was carried that same momentum from the Lakers series and, and just performed uh, just really really great in the series. Um, one thing that I did want to touch on and it I'm oh, okay I'm not trying to hate on Chris Paul I'm not trying to hate on the Suns but everybody's saying that you know Mar- Marv Albert and everybody on Sports Center I, I don't know 
just saying that he had this all-world performance. Look, bros, it's not that hard to hit mid-range open jump shots. I don't care if it's on the NBA court. I don't care if it's a high school, college court. I, I don't care what type of court it is. If I'm open and no one's in my vicinity within a five-feet radius and Jokic is just doing this stupid, you know, how he flails his arm at you like, like he's actually going to guard. He's not, he's not going to do crap. That shot is so easy, and half his points have to come from that. Um, but you know, other than that, uh, on the sun, on, on the Nuggets end, they uh, uh, Cam sent a message into the group chat saying, "Is this team gonna have to blow it up?" And I would have to agree with Eddie. I think Eddie, you responded back to him. I don't think so. With the with the return of Jamal Murray and you know different free agent signings or trades that a team can make, they can vastly, vastly improve from this year to the next. And this year, even though they got swept, it's not like it was super disappointing. Jokic did what he had to do. He he got the MVP. He was performing well. And the team, you know, it's not like they were they were just absent from like the freaking, you know, Lakers. They, they actually did well in, in some spots. And I think the sweep uh, kind of paints a different picture than what the games actually were. So they have a bright future ahead of them, which um, I'll call myself out on that. You know, I was wrong about them, and hopefully they can take that next step. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't need to blow anything up. Yeah, the thing that sucks for Denver is that I don't think in any of the games you can say that they didn't fight hard or try to, you know, play all 48 for the victory. It was just – you know, the talent disparity was, was too much when you're running out um, Austin Rivers and, and Facundo Campazzo that many minutes. Um, but, yeah, ultimately for Denver, it's like I thought that they would get maybe a game or two because Jokic would get hot. You know, like he would maybe score like 45 points with like a lot of assists. But DeAndre Ayton did a really good job of shutting him down. So a lot of credit to DeAndre Ayton, who, you know, everyone's heaping a lot of praise for. Um, on the Nuggets side, though, Michael Porter really was um, vulnerable, to say the least, defensively. And mm-hmm. the Suns clearly were trying to target him, you know, in their actions, possession after possession. And the Suns really just killed them by, you know, a death of a thousand cuts. And I don't know, if you're Denver, like, again, I said that you don't want to blow up the team. Like, they don't have to change coaches. Like, I think Malone's a great head coach. The GM's fine. The roster in general, I think, is fine. But... You, you do might have to think about, you know, can we leverage Michael Porter as a trade piece and maybe really? not a potential building block? Because, like, I get that he's really talented. You know, he's 6'11", Clay, um, all of that. But defensively, like, this was the year, this was the playoffs that if he were to grow, you would have wanted to see growth. this Because he had last year that experience, what is basically his rookie year. I mean, you wanted to see him look the part at least this year. And he was just getting lost, you know, late on rotations, jumping at pump fakes. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you're Denver, maybe you hit up Toronto and you say, hey, you know, would you like Michael Porter for OG and Anobi? I don't know. I'm just saying oh, I mean, that, that would that would be an interesting – that would be an interesting beat. I mean, obviously you could go for the Bradley Beals and whatever, but I'm, you know, a, a defensive-minded, versatile um, wing who can also shoot the three – and maybe handle the ball a little bit is the kind of prototype I think you want to play next to Jamal and Jokic. And that is the guy you want, and they lost it in uh, Jeremy Grant, which sucks. But I have it written down here, too, that they should, 
you can't see it, but they, they, they should leverage Michael Porter Jr. too. Man. Um, it's, not, it's not that I think he's going to take a, a regression step next year, and it's not even that I think that he, he's hit the top of his ceiling because I don't think he has, but I think that you can – right now is really, really the time you can really leverage um, his potential, his ability, and get – and again, I, I I don't know how to say it. he's not he's not it's not that he's not a win a win now guy, but I, I just think you can get someone much better for for what the team actually needs um, and, and to fit good next to Jokic and, and Jamal Murray. But I, I mean, I but think I feel like he fits good. so well next to uh, yeah. I mean, like he almost feels like the perfect dude to fit next to Jokic and Jamal Murray. And but, the fact that he demands no real. Um, hold of the offense right he's a dude that don't need to take more than six dribbles to drop 20 points on you that's like invaluable it's just you're not going to go get a joe harris you can't go get a seth curry you can't get a clay thompson like that's the next best thing it's like the ideal person you want next to unless you're going to ask somebody who has that level of scoring talent um to take a severe uh cut in their role in the offense because I don't know. Like, it feels like he has the perfect game to kind of play next to a guy like Jokic and a guy like Murray, and that he's willing to be that three-point dead-eye shooter and, and, and nothing more. I think offensively it makes sense, right? Um, but when you're talking about how that team is constructed, Jokic and Murray are two guys that I think are already very good to elite options offensively. Like, they can get you a bucket, and they can play make for others. And... Um, at that point, like, having Michael Porter as a scoring option is really a luxury. And, you know, having luxuries is great, right? But you can't have luxuries and have such a huge deficiency in, you know, your point of attack, perimeter defense on the other end. And, you know, I just feel like this series kind of highlighted how it, it might not potentially ever work if you're building with Murray and Jokic defensively to have a guy as vulnerable as Porter is. And I know that he can learn and, you know, get better, but... It's just hard for me to think that he can really work his way out of those mistakes. Because, again, like, that's just a part of who he is. Like, he, he's been that player, and people have wondered about his defensive acumen since day one. And if you can replace him with a, with a really good perimeter defender, a guy they haven't had, or they had, a, they had that in Gary Harris, but they triggered him away. Um, I think it's just a better fit, you know, for what you're looking for building um, going forward with Murray. I'll give you Dylan Brooks, and I'll give you Brandon Clark, and I'll give you Jonas Valanciunas, and really whoever you want besides John Morant and DeAnthony Melton. One one team, I'm not even going to acknowledge what you just said, bro. Who says no? One team that that I, I forgot which player we were discussing, but I thought the, the, the teams that should have been, oh, the Bradley, when the Nets said that, uh, like rumors were going around that the Nets were interested in Bradley Beal, I said it should be the Nets, the Warriors, and the, and the Nuggets, because the Nuggets had good assets. And there's all, see, here's my mindset. There's always going to be superstars, young guys, you know, maybe a guy in his prime in the later years in his prime that are every year that's going to ask for, you know, a trade and, and demand to go to a different team. Last year was Harden. This year, this upcoming season, it, it might be Damian Lillard. Now, one thing that I thought about, would you, you wouldn't trade Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. for Dame Lillard and uh, Covington? 
No, I, I didn't even realize that's where you were going with that. I was just saying that Damian Lillard is not going to go anywhere. But no, I would not trade Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. for Dame. Wouldn't do it. No. No, Jamal, I mean, have we forgot? I know he's been injured, but Jamal Murray is like, I'm not saying he's Dame-esque, but when you take literally one of the brightest young guards who had a hell of a playoff performance last series, you know, he had his ups and downs this season, but it's not like he's one of the, he's not one of the better young guards in the NBA. And one of the up-and-coming elite shooters in the NBA, potentially one of the great scorers in the NBA, for a 30-plus-year-old Dame, I won't do it. All all I'm trying to say is that you can, there's, there's always, especially with the Nuggets, with the assets they have, there's always something you can package. And with something like Jamal and, and Michael Porter Jr., with, with which teams value so much, um, you know, him as, as a young player, I think there's some pretty good packages you can throw out to teams that teams would be reluctant to not even look at that. So I, I'm not even – I'm talking about Dane, but I'm not even talking about him specifically. That that package is, can be very, very, you know, valuable – for them to take that next step and improve and get another superstar. Yeah, for me, it's just, I mean, Jamal's a, looks like a building piece, but Porter, like, I'm 100% with you there. Um, like, you have to just do your due diligence and look at if there are improvements to be made. Now, if and somebody's if coming find, with a godfather offer, by all means, I'm not going to sit up here and say that Michael Porter's untradeable, but it damn sure has to be, like, something that's worth it. And, you know, to me, he's worth a lot. Is OG and Anobi worth it? Now, that one's really... That's a really interesting one. Because I'm almost not sure that Toronto says yes to that. Like, OG's been really, really fucking good if you were watching, right? Obviously, you guys I are mean, watching. I mean, to me, like, OG's a wing that's really good on a win-now team. And Michael Porter is the type of player I, you want as, like, a developmental piece. It just feels like a, a fair I, kind of swap. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll dangle Michael Porter Jr. to the Celtics. For Jalen Brown? Yeah. They wouldn't take that. They wouldn't. I don't think they would. They, they in a way they want two light skinned dudes who want who want the ball. <laughs> That's just toxicity waiting to happen. I don't think that would go. I'm I'm trying to think who else might make sense. If if you could put Michael Porter out there for hmm, give give him give him to Atlanta and give me a few of your wings who can defend. Hmm. The thing is, like Denver's on a win now track, so you want a. Yeah, you want a player, and ideally, I think you want a wing who can kind of be a three and D and give you some, you know, ball creation skills. Yeah, I I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of packages that you can come up with uh, with with different teams if you're Denver, and you have to explore those options because you can't, you can't just. I know I said that I, I I do look forward to them taking the next step, but you can't just expect that if your teams. You always got to be looking to improve. You, no, no one's untradeable except for Jokic, in, in my opinion. So, and that's just how the ball rolls. So, that that's the way you got to do do business. Yeah. Last mm-hmm. thing I'll say, um, while Reagan, I guess you still think of names. If they like, we don't know what's going to happen in the offseason. Obviously, it's way too early. But I think it's very possible that they can go into next season as my like championship favorites. I think, given how the league will work next year, so if they, I mean, if they make the right moves, they're they're in the perfect spot to contend for the chip. So, you know, they just have to really strike while the iron's hot. Now, here's a name for you, and this is like way out of left field, okay? But should the 76ers lose the series, 
and should they might want to make a move, get a shooter, put him around a dude like Embiid. You probably have to package more than just Michael Porter, but could Ben Simmons be on the table? We've seen Ben Simmons' name out there for trade rumors in the past. It'd be an awkward fit with him and Gordon, but Ben Simmons is a high-IQ basketball player. You'd have to get rid of Gordon, I assume. But... Jokic and Ben Simmons? That goes a little crazy. Gordon and Ben Simmons is like an incremental improvement to me, given the roles that you see them play. You gotta think more creatively than that. You're not gonna. Anyways, I digress. Um, okay, yeah, that's series for, one. For the off season, just for the off Yeah, season. yeah, we getting into off. We still got basketball to be played, so let's go ahead and mosey on over to the other Western Conference fi- or matchup. This the Los Angeles Clippers versus the damn brain fart. Clippers versus Utah. the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz. Yeah, and Utah started high. I, I don't know what it is about the Clippers. They might just like fuck around for two games and then turn it up, but like. Well, I'll tell you what it is. What it's is Paul it? George. It's Paul George. It's Paul George. Mm. He's the and ex- again, like I, I said, I said this since day one. If Paul George gets going, the Clippers win, right? So I'm not. I'm. I mean, I said that Paul George was their most important player. I've said at times yes. that he's their best player, and when he plays like this, I'm sorry, he looks like the best player. He's. he's a, I mean, he looks like. He's he looks a, like. Well, he looks like the second most talented player on the planet. You know, his height, his his shot making, his playmaking. It's it's insane. So I'm glad to see him do well because again, I, I you know you want to see players do well, and I don't like the narratives and all the slander for Paul George. So when he plays like that, to me, the Clippers are. They, I mean, they really should be unbeatable because they have five switchable wings who shoot at an extremely high level, defend at an extremely high level. And, you know, two of them are, are supreme shot makers. And the question is just, you know, can they really play on a string and give it their uh, dedication, you know, game in and game out? And they clearly have done it the last two games. Um, that being said, like, dude, I still can't really trust them, right? And then I don't know what Mike Conley's status is for game five. But if Conley comes back, I think it changes the story a little bit. But, again, applied Paul George's effort and performance the last couple of games because he's, he's definitely been very transcendent. Yeah, I, I have a few things to say. So Paul George, he's easily, you know, it's easy to see. He's easily the X factor for this team. He does well, the team does well. It's the same thing. I've been saying this all day uh, uh, today. He's the same, like, role, not on the court, but just kind of that, that, that X factor player. Like, you do well, the team wins as AD. It's the same crap. Sometimes he brings it, sometimes he doesn't. You know he can bring it every night, but it's like you have to like beat it out of him and sometimes he shoots a lot of shots that you know you may not want him to shoot and then he looks like down and uh, I don't want to use the word depressed, but you know he looks out of it and, and sometimes how Kyrie looks. You know, he just looks out of the game. But when he does well, he look just like you said, he looks amazing and he's been doing well the last two games. Um, and then the other guy, here's a guy I wanted to talk about. I remember when this guy went, um, this player went, uh, to the buyout market last season. And this was when the whole just avalanche was coming down on, this was pre pandemic. The whole avalanche was coming down on the Lakers. I was getting upset. Like, damn, we can't get any of these dudes. We can't get, you know, New York Knicks was asking too much for Marcus Morris um, and, and then freaking Reggie Jack. I was upset about Reggie Jackson signing with the Clippers. See, 
I fell into the boat. I think Eddie had me convinced that this dude was just straight garbage. Like he's just, his career was just done. And I thought he, he would be a valuable piece. Now, obviously you've been right for most of his time with the Clippers, but recently in the playoffs, you cannot tell me that man hasn't, hasn't done his job and done his job very well. Reggie Jackson? Nick Batum. Reggie Jackson. Oh, for yeah. I'm, buyout I'm, guy? For a buyout I'm very guy? That's all surprised. That's all you need him to do. Mm. Hit a few threes and, you know, provide some playmaking for the team. That's a dude who I, I think is very, very important because you substitute and play freaking Patrick Beverly the whole time as a starting point guard. That's, you know how that ends up. And Rondo's not even playing anymore, which is a huge surprise to me. Um, and then, so these these are DNPs because that was that was a question on my mind. Like he's just not playing. He's not hurt. Yeah, he, yeah, he's just not playing. The guy who isn't playing because of injury is Ibaka. Mm-hmm. Now that that's a dude who I think is gonna uh, his injury is gonna hurt them in the long run if they get past the the Jazz and, and eventually get to the finals um, or and get past the Suns too because. I mean, we know Ibaka. He can stretch the floor. He can defend. He can uh, on the perimeter. He, he you know can protect the rim. So he does a lot of things for the Clippers that they miss right now that they're not going to have for the rest of the season. He's out with a back injury. Going to have back surgery. Now uh, the other guy I want to touch on, Donovan Mitchell. He looks like, I mean he he has some explosive plays, but can you guys agree that he just looks gimpy out there? And it's like every other play, bro, is getting hurt. It's funny because like when he makes moves, he looks fine. He looks and fine. Like, no, you know, yeah. it's just like, I mean, you you know that then, feeling. It's like I can go, but when I'm not going, it's bad. You know what I mean? Bad. Yeah, yeah. The, the, when, when he gets the adrenaline flowing, so that that's why I think, just like you said, the Mike Conley uh, thing. You know, him coming back is going to be so so crucial for them because right now, who's handling the ball? Donovan Mitchell and Jordan their Clarkson, freaking. Backup point guard Joe Ingles, which he, you know he starts, but he Clarkson. like handles the ball, and Jordan Clarkson. But none of those guys are pure, you know, point guards that can actually calm things down. You know, know what to do with the offense when, when stuff is breaking down, and that's what Mike Conley's for. And when stuff breaks down, like it did today, you got to get guys in the right spots. You got to you know run certain pick and roll actions from certain sides, attack different guys. When you have wings. And even shooting guards like Don, Donovan Mitchell and score first dudes like Jordan Clarkson, you need to mix it up. You you can't you, you can't just have you know just no point guard running the offense. So I I, I just the, the Mike Conley thing is really stressing me out because I I really want the Jazz to win the series and pull it out. Um, and then the last thing, when the Jazz are on from three, it's like they're unbeatable. But when they're not, it's like they're done. And a lot and a lot of those threes. Throughout the season, we're created by Mike Conley. Obviously, by Donald Mitchell, their best player. But Mike Conley makes that thing go, too. And it's almost as if, you know, people recognize Rudy Gobert to be the second best player. And he is an integral part of their team. But it's like, who would you rather have at this point? It's like Mike Conley. Mike Conley is really, really that dude who, who makes the team go. So um, just look looking forward to his return. Also, on Kawhi's knee, I don't think he's hurt. I just think they took him out as a precaution hmm. uh, uh, for him not to hurt himself more. So. Yeah, the thing about Rudy Gobert, I just wanted to touch on this. I think it's really interesting because his numbers, I think, are the biggest indicator that they need 
Conley because you see his point totals per game. It's like single digit points. And then you see his shot attempts a game. Um, he barely gets like five five shots of a game, I think. And that's just all because they don't have a player that can get the ball to him. It's not like you're force feeding him the ball, but, you know, that, yeah. a, a pure that, point guard will be able to create, you know, lobs, yeah. drop off passes, things like that. And yeah, so that's where they that's where they really miss Conley. And, and honestly, like if you're the Jazz, you should be really happy that you have this series at 2-2, even though you started 2-0. Um, without Conley all four games because I think for most teams you know like if if you only have one reliable playmaker um, on your team in a playoff series like that's usually a recipe for disaster I think and the fact that the Jazz have pulled out a a tied series so far um, I think they should be optimistic as long as Conley's health is fine but I think that's obviously still a question mark Mm -hmm. Well, I, I wanted to highlight one dude on the Clippers just because it, it feels like every time I look up, they're just making a good play, and that's Nick Batum. I thought that's where you were going with yours. I guess he's not a buyout dude. He signed there as a free agent. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, obviously you mentioned Serge Ibaka going out, and they kind of just pulled the old, old Bruce Brown and said, you know, let's just throw him in at center and see how that works. And he's doing a really good job, and a lot of what he does – and I honestly thought his career was dead when he went to Charlotte. It was, like, ugly. But um, he just seems like a dude when he gets to play off other people and he's not, like, the guy no one's asking you to score 16, 17, 18 points a game. He just does a lot of instinctual. It's Iguodala-esque, right? And just in the fact that I, I do the right things. I set screens. I make good passes. I hustle. I rebound. And they make a lot of instinctual plays that dudes on the court just don't make like that. So Nick Batum is a guy that I think is going to be – if they are going to go all the way, he's going to be an integral part of it just because, um, yeah, you need guys who can score the ball. Paul George's ascension has been – ascension, I guess recension, if that's a word, um, has been important. But, like, guys like Nick Batum making those plays night in and night out, those are also important to their winning games. So he's been great. What what do we think this series ends up as? I mean, obviously we made our predictions in the beginning, but, you know, Feel free to call a mulligan here if you I, want to. I'm going to have to stick with Jazz in seven. Mm. And that's banking on uh, Paul George not performing throughout the series like he is now. Now, my only, uh, uh, I guess, caveat or whatever to that would be, he has his rhythm now. And I feel like he has his confidence under him. And I feel like the pressure is off of him. Um, one thing that I, I think he really, really struggles with is pressure and expectation. When you're down 0-2 to the Mavericks, everybody's like, oh, you're out. You guys suck. You guys are going to have to blow it up. Oh, shoot, you guys don't have any expectations for me, so now I can perform. Same thing with the freaking, you know, in this series, now with the Utah Jazz. Uh, Conley's hurt. Donovan Mitchell's, you know, practically are getting hurt on every single play. And... You know, he's just getting his confidence up. Right now that Kawhi went out, he was like the go-to guy. And it's it's very similar to, and I'm going to mention this with Giannis, with Giannis, when the pressure's off, I mean, they they perform well. It's not like one of the, they're not like some of those dudes who when the pressure's off, oh, I get lazy, you know, the other team takes advantage and capitalizes on, on me not being, you know, assertive. Bro's assertive when the, when the pressure's not on. And that, that's one thing about Paul George. So I, I, I'm just banking and probably more praying that he's not going to have it going like this for the rest of the series. So I, I'm going to stick to my pick and say Jazz in seven. Julio praying on Paul think, George's downfall. Wow. 
I also think it's still Jazz in seven because when you talk about Paul George, historically he sucks playing in Utah for whatever reason. You know, a lot of people talk about like Joe Ingles, whatever, like he locks him up. But it's really, his numbers are really bad in, in when he plays in Utah for some reason. And then on that note, also the home field advantage, I think, has been a huge thing this series. Like, like you can just tell, you know, like in Utah, it's like crazy you know, the, the audience and, you know, when, when the team gets hot and especially for a team that relies on the three point shot so much, like that home field advantage will really come into play. So I think it's going to go, you know, seven and each team will win on their home floor um, for the next three games. You know, Utah, Boston, you know, San Antonio is something about just the racism that really brings out the rowdiness in fans, you know. Denver. Denver, you know. Los Angeles in a different form. Phoenix. Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix. Phoenix kind of just, 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 just racism just makes for, you know, very ugly situation, but very powerful fan support. At Memphis sometimes. Bro. No, no. You ain't never been to the FedEx Forum. Come on now. We ain't got, you know, no. Memphis is a joyous. It, no, Memphis has its issues, but not in the FedEx form. Not in the FedEx form. Anyways, I digress. Let's go ahead and move on to the Eastern Conference where we have two really interesting series lined up. Let's start with the dudes who tied it up today. The Hawks tied it up with the Philadelphia 76ers. We're looking at a 2-2 series. How are we feeling about Ice Trey, man? That dude, come on. Can we can we give this man his props, man? Like, dudes, he dropped, what, 18 think, assists I today? Think, 18? I think, I think he's getting his props. He's very he's very marketable and he's plastered all over social media. So he's leaning I, I, into his ugliness. So I'll give him that. Like he's. Well, he, I, mean, I think I'm kind of happy that. Yeah. I know during the Knicks series, everyone was calling him like the next villain. But like, can you really be a villain when you're like smaller than ninety nine percent of the league? Yes. Like you're physically so, like I don't think. I mean, shoot, no. I I T was like, a villain. I Isaiah Thomas was Isaiah, the villain. Like Detroit Isaiah, yeah, Boston, yeah. I was like, definitely not Boston Isaiah. Well, well, I mean that, that's because he played with like Bill Lambeer, and then you know all of them. Because he was touching you know everybody I mean? in the face. Though. I mean, shoot, you can't do it no more. But whatever the modern equivalent is, like, I feel Trae like Trae Young Young's plays a, it. a pretty game. You know, like he plays a pretty game, and he's like barely a hundred, what seventy five pounds. Um, I just don't think like. Maybe this is a, an outdated trope. I don't think you can be a villain if you don't look like a villain. What? No, it's like 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 villain, villains got to be big and they got to be goons and they got to you know. The fuck? No. Okay. okay. You gotta, let's you gotta wanna, you let's unpack this because that he that he's a what? He got one of them going for him though. He's well, we we can we can look back in like NBA history. So okay, you know, let, like, let's unpack this. Yeah, that's true. He got you got the ugliness going for him. He got the ugly theory yeah. right going from but. If you look throughout NBA history, like the villains, you gotta be, like you gotta look the part. Unfortunately, for for whatever what you reason, talking to be, about, to be, bro, what to be branded a villain? Hold on, hold, okay. So give me examples of villains throughout NBA history that, well, that let's fit just, this Who is under six three? Like you think it's Isaiah Thomas? I think it's just because he's the bad boys. You know, like it's not like Isaiah was a villain. The whole Detroit team was a villain. It's like like John Stockton was he a villain or was that Utah team like? I mean, I don't think anyone was looking at uh, John Stockton as a villain. Um, I think a lot of people looked at Allen Iverson as a villain. I think a lot of people looked at... No one called him a villain. Are you kidding me? 
Isaiah Allen Iverson was hated by like a, a large faction of basketball fans who were like uncom- like a villain is somebody to me. It's not about how you look. It's about how you challenge perceptions, right? Isaiah Thomas, a little dude out there, you know, skirting around, punching dudes, whatever the hell, not backing down to anyone. Um, you know, that that's a challenge, right? Uh, who else is a villain? Um, LeBron, not a little dude, right? But challenging the status quo. I'm going to go over here with my buddies. I'm going to – you said what? Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a vi- – I mean, shit. Steph, people looked at Steph Curry as somewhat of a villain. Like, people were pissed the fuck off at what he was doing. They, even looked, though- they looked at him like a villain after KD signed him. Like, the general perception of Steph Curry, like, the, the overwhelming consensus was that they loved him. He was a golden Russ, child. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. I don't think anyone he, – he's just doing his own thing. But, like – People I, hate him. I mean, no, people hate him, but, like, to be the villain, to be, like, the bad guy, you know, like, oh, we, we don't fuck. I mean, Gary Payton, to an extent, was a villain. Oh, but, no, no, no. See, that, that's what I was going to say. We, guys like Gary Payton, you're, these dudes just aren't, and, and he was great. He might, you know, for basketball, yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll get in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Or if, Is he not? Already, I think he's in there already. Oh, he's already a Hall of Famer. But, he, you know, that, that dude's just not, like, a, a big enough superstar to be – a known villain that people just root against. Hmm. Like, I don't know. But I, I am more inclined to agree with Eddie. Although, I, okay, I will say Chris Paul, he's under six foot three, and he should be kind of a, a villainous okay. figure, but everyone wants to like him now, apparently. Um, I, I want to, how, how, how can Trey well, Young not be a villain? His thing to me, it's like, he doesn't play like a villain. Like, he doesn't do any, like, what? dirty plays. Like, he doesn't get under anybody's, like, skin physically. You know? That don't like, mean you're he, not a villain. He, like, the only contact he gets when he's on the court is when he, you know, when he's, like, drawing fouls and stuff. He doesn't even seek out, like, physical contact to otherwise be, when he's okay. on the court. He, 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 to be a villain in any capacity, whether that's sports, whether that's basketball, whatever, you have to piss people off. If you're pissing people off, you are somewhat of a villain. Trey Young pisses people off in the way he carries himself, the way he well, talks his shit, the way he'll walk up in your stadium, bust your ass, drop 30 points, 10 assists, talk his shit on the way out of the building, wave you. Like, that's villainous tendencies. That That's villainous tendencies. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it, per se. But hell yeah, Trey Young is like an emerging somewhat of a villain, especially the fact that he's like knocking out some of these teams that people are beloved, like the Knicks, right? If he knocks okay, out the 76ers he's a team. Like, Knicks fans, but does anyone else... Any other faction think of him as a villain, like a real villain? I mean, I suppose yeah. not. <laughs> I think that's the whole point. Is like, I mean, you got to give these things time, though. Like, you don't like. It's not like you're just an instant villain. Like, as soon as he starts knocking off other folks' favorite teams, it's going to be some people who really just don't fuck with him, and that's cool. Well, I mean, point being, I saw a lot about like, oh, the NBA should market like him as a villain. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to put him on like these commercials and he's going to look smaller than everyone in those commercials and be like, this is the bad guy. I mean, like that, that's not how commercials work, obviously, what? but I, it, it's just a fun, it's just a funny visual. Man. I mean, it's I like, feel like just like how Steph Curry redefined what the hero, I guess for a time could look like, right. It doesn't have to be the six foot eight God like LeBron or whatever the hell we can redefine what the villain looks like as well. Even though I, I still don't feel like that's a redefinition. I feel like there's been small villains throughout the course of NBA history. But even if we are going off your premise that there aren't, like why can't we redefine it to be this 
you know, six foot one, 175 pound dude out of Oklahoma who's just busting everybody's ass, talking his shit. However pretty he does it, it doesn't mean he's not villainous. Like, shit, villains can be pretty too. I mean, I suppose, but at least for this game and his game in general, like, it just makes more sense to highlight his, you know, skills instead of buying into his antics. I mean, he's really good at the antics. You just like Trey Young, bro. I mean, it, I mean, eighteen assists and like, like I didn't get to catch the game, but he only had eight. I don't know why I, I was bugging. That, oh wait, no, this was no. He, yeah, he yeah, no. I'm I'm today. looking at the wrong game. You're the, right. the game, the game was insane. I mean, midway through, it, it was, you know, leading up to that point, it was pretty boring just because they were getting blown out. But this is the grit that I was talking about. I don't know if it was last episode or the previous episode where I was talking about these young guys and. Uh, leading these young teams who just don't give up when the pressure hits and it just seems like a downer. And you can easily say, and veterans tend to do this a lot, um, oh, this is not our day. This is not our day. And it's almost like they give up and, you know, give up that that, that win. But, you know, today with, with the Hawks, it was a great example that you can come back and, yes, Embiid was hurt, and that's going to be a huge, huge storyline because that knee, he does not look good at all. Like, even if they moved on to the next series, just off that knee alone, I would easily take the Bucks or a healthy Nets team. Just because without him being at not even 100%, I'd say I don't even think he's at 80% the way he looked tonight, and maybe, maybe it was a bad day for him. Maybe his knee was just extra sore today um, because in the last two previous games, he looked he looked pretty good. But today he just looked very, very bad. Like, it, it, and it's, it made him turn into the old Embiid to me. Not I'm not going to really punch and dominate on the inside. I'm going to take a bunch of threes. I'm going to take a bunch of step backs. I'm going to take a bunch of mid-range fadeaways and, and playing like AD when AD is not aggressive. And that's, I hate when big men, especially when you're that big, when you play like that. And I'm going to give him kind of a pass because he's been playing great all season long and all playoffs long. But today he looked, he looked real, real gimpy. And that's just not a good sign. And then going back to Atlanta, their offense is just, I mean, it's something that, you know, Reagan and Eddie have been on all year. Um, and, and, you know, I've even acknowledged the pieces that they have, but I doubted that they that they could put it together. But, man, can they rain on it. It's almost like the Utah Jazz effect where the way they shoot, the, they, they shoot that ball, Kevin Herter, uh, uh, my guy Bogdan, even Gallo, having a, a vet like that is very, very valuable. I mean, they can go. When, when, you, when you pair them next to Trey and two big men, who know their role, two big men who know their role in Big O and Clint Capella. No, I'm not going to, you know, take any step backs. No, I'm not going to be out there on the three point line trying to make any offense happen. I'm going to let the offense come to me and I'm going to excel in my role. Yes. Big O might've only gave seven minutes. I don't know how much he played, but bro, he, he played a very, very crucial seven minutes when Clint Capella is out. And yes, he's going to get in foul trouble because you're playing against Joel Embiid. Your ass better be doing something useful there, and, and he's doing really, really well. So, props to him. Props to the Hawks organization, the the the, the that young team they got over there, because they're full of fight, and, and that's something that you got to acknowledge. I mean, you talk about fight, yeah. man. These dudes shot thirty seven percent from the field 
and you talk about the three-point shooting, they only thought, shot 30% from three today. That's yeah. supposed to be well, an well, ass-whooping. That's supposed to be like a, well, you got your ass-whooped today, but you won three. Back, what got him back in the game was John Collins. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he had like four enormous just electrifying dunks. And, and you it, was talking was your a, shit about John Collins before the show too, wasn't you? No, I, I was. I was. <laughs> but I, I, I can also acknowledge that he provides the team with energy, he provides the team with attitude, and he plays within his role. Now, him asking for Max, that that's that's just out of bounds. Like, I, I, you know, that, that pisses me off. But, I mean, you, you got to get your money, right? And, obviously, he, he's probably not expecting the Max, but he, he'll get something close to it. But he might have been their most important player in galvanizing the team to the to the win just because just off those dunks because he got the team going and once they got going with those dunks and and you know the threes that they started hitting and capella and big big o with the dunks that they had um it, it just it, it was a nightmare for philly especially when they couldn't score with him beat yeah i just oh, want to sorry sorry last thing that i want to say before you go um before i forget this is why I say Tobias Harris is kind of like their X factor too. He can be so great, but he's so damn inconsistent and is so annoying because you know he has it in his bag. You know he can he he can you know perform up to that twenty five per game point per game standard, but he just doesn't. And I don't know if he he gets like nervous or scared, but he's just not assertive. And even when he is, he almost looks like he's checked out. And he just can't go. It's it's it must be so annoying for Daryl Morey and uh, and Doc Rivers because you know he has it in him, but he just it almost like he refuses to be that wing scorer and assert himself on that end. But go ahead, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, on the Philly side, it ultimately lives and dies with if Joel goes four for twenty, like you're just not going to get enough offense elsewhere. And the fact that they were kind of close in this game, I think, is you know like it's okay, I guess, for them. Uh, but then also just back to Atlanta, just talking about Trey again. Um, I mean, I said this like two years ago, I think, after Trey's rookie year. I said that he was the second best passer in the league already at that point after James Harden. Now, now like, I still think it's the case. Like, he is you know, such an amazing passer. And the one that he got to John Collins late in the game that I was telling you guys about, like, I don't, I don't know how he, you know, one, sees these things and then, you know, finds the shooters in the right, you know, right in the shooting pocket. So, I don't know. Again, props to Trey Young. I don't know why people would talk about his game as, you know, villainous when it's very artful to me. But, you know. It's not the game. It's the individual. It's the, and this it's the is, person. And this is without DeAndre Hunter. Right. Very true. That's true. That's crazy. That's crazy. And you, like, I think I said this last episode too, but you have pieces to where you can maintain what your kind of core team is. And then move some other dudes around to try to get in more talent. Like, what what is Gallo really doing for this team right now? That's a piece you can move. What is um? I think Capella is probably a dude you can move in the in the near. See, I don't know yeah, if, I, don't... if I were if I were the GM. To me, Trey Hunter Capella is the building block, and and like Herder too. Capella might be too expensive for for a big man like that. What what's his contract? How much he make? He makes like fifteen a year, I think. But he he's like the second best non skilled big after Gobert in my eyes, um, and I mean I don't even like and I even think Capella sometimes is more playable than Gobert in the playoffs. Hmm. Um, but he he's so good in that role and like you know like I, I always talk about like you can put Nerlens Noel in or whatever. But like the truth is for what Atlanta asks for out of their big men playing with Trey, um, 
like to me that that's perfect you can't ask for anything yeah. better than yeah. capella i think Alright, last but not least, we have the Brooklyn versus Milwaukee Bucks matchup. And since we last recorded, all hell has broken loose for the Brooklyn Nets. No Harden. Kyrie turned his ankle. I didn't see him turn his ankle, but when I talked to my dad about it, he said it looked ugly. It looked like a high ankle sprain. It looked like something he would have to take months to recover, let alone a game or two. So, if that's the case, and we're dealing with an injured Kyrie who's out for at least, let's call it a month. We're dealing with a Harden who's dealing with what a hamstring issue. Yeah. Who knows how those things go? Yeah, they're 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 confirmed out for next game. This this gets interesting. This becomes very yeah. interesting. So this whole playoffs has actually been insane. It's been a bunch of up and downs for me uh, as like a Lakers fan and as as a regular just basketball fan. I love to see Trey Young, John Moran, Devin Booker, uh, Donovan Mitchell. All these young guys, you know, really come up and exert themselves, put themselves on the center stage and perform greatly. But it also sucks to see the Lakers go. Um, and then on that note of a roller coaster, the the, the Mavericks are, are, are beating the, the Clippers 2-0. You're like, oh, the Clippers lost. And then they come back and win. The Jazz are beating the Clippers 2-0. Oh, they lost. You know, they, they come back and tie. The the Nets are beating the, the Bucks 2-0. It's over. Oh, now they're back two two. When the when the Lakers were up two, you know two one on the on the Suns, I thought it was over. Obviously, AD got hurt and they won like three straight. Um, and the Suns ended up beating us. And so this year, this whole playoff run, like I said, I think two episodes ago, have been purely about just staying healthy, in my opinion. And that that's going to be another storyline with Atlanta. And, and the Sixers, shoot, Atlanta might pull, pull that series out if Embiid isn't right. So when it comes to this series, I think that I think it's it's still winnable by the Nets. Now, obviously, the Bucks should still pull it out, and they should be heavy, heavy favorites, and there will be no excuses. Just like last year against the Miami Heat, there's zero excuses for you uh, to lose this series. You guys should not lose this series. Even though Katie's the best player, you guys have second, third, fourth, and so on and so forth. Now, how do the Nets pull this one out and drag it maybe to a seven-game series and perhaps pull the series out? One, Joe Harris has to freaking hunt his shot. Now, I don't want to see any of this. I'm only shooting when I'm open. I'm only shooting when I'm semi-open. You have to be the second best player on that team. Him, him and combination of him and... Uh, uh, Blake Griffin, as unfortunate as that as that may sound, um, but Joe Harris has to literally hunt his shots. No, KD's not going to score 80, 90 freaking points. You have to hunt your shot. That's the only way that you guys are going to get a enough points on the board, and you don't even have to shoot a great percentage. And B, just galvanize galvanize your team because how, how do you how do you really energize your team in, in basketball? Dunks. In crazy hot streak in threes, just like Clay Thompson and Steph used to do. So Joe Harris has to hunt his threes, and the most important thing is going to be on defense. And this is, I break this down into two different things. Number one, the biggest thing in my opinion, you have to bait Giannis. Now Giannis, I don't want to call him selfish because I don't think he'll, he'll take that bait. <laughs> he'll yeah, yeah. he'll easily I bite that. I don't. I don't think Giannis is selfish. And I think he's the furthest thing from that. I truly, sincerely think 
that he cares about winning and puts that at the number one uh, 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 priority. But one thing I do believe that gets in his head is that, hey, everybody's anointed me MVP, back-to-back MVP uh, the, the last two years. I have to step up and show the world, prove them wrong, and show them I am that dude. And that, I, I think he creates that kind of conflict in his, in his head that he has to, you know, back dudes down like Kobe and, and, and shoot fadeaways like Mike. He has to try to sauce dudes up one-on-one when he gets Jeff Green on him and, and play like KD. He has to shoot that mid-range pull-up. And he, he just doesn't have that. And that's going to be the number one thing, for at least in my opinion, that Steve Nash is going to have to drill into Jeff Green, Nick Claxton, and Blake Griffin, bait his ass. Please bait him. Stunt him. Like, like don't let him get, like, a full-speed drive to the basket. But once you get close to him, back up off him where he feels like he can do his little left-hand dribble, boom, pull up. Because it's so predictable. It is so – it's so bad that because it's so predictable. And you have to bait him. And that, that even if he makes it, he makes it. There's nothing you can do. These are scenarios that, you know, might not work out. You're probably going to lose a series. But this is what you're going to have to do if you want to uh, uh, get a, uh, uh, win this series and pull, pull it out against the Bucs. Um, and then with the, with the, they have to come with also with a different defensive strategy. I'm not saying you got to play zone, but you have to mix it up just a little bit. And by zone, I mean just collapsing the paint and not letting Giannis dominate on the inside. Again, that goes to baiting him into shooting mid-range and three-point jump shots. And I, I think that can get them close. I think that can get them close. Yeah, the part about, I think I said, right, like if Giannis is taking more than 15 shots a game at, uh, before the series started, I would have thought that Milwaukee, or I think maybe it was 20. If, if Giannis takes more than 20 shots a game, I think Milwaukee's doing something very wrong. But if he's taking like 15, then I feel like their offense is buzzing. And right now he's taking like 30 shots a game, and like 20 of them are, uh, let's just say, ill-advised shots, you know, to, to put it nicely, because I don't, I don't know why he's, he's taking them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're Milwaukee... Like, obviously, like, everything you said is right. Like, they should have the pressure on them. They should feel like they're expected to win. Um, but I don't know. Like, something in me feels like I can't really trust them just because sometimes they just throw up duds. But who knows? Maybe maybe they kind of have their feet under them now because, you know, in Miami, in that Miami series, you know, they kind of had that first punch a little bit when Miami almost won game one. They got past that and they looked like, you know, one of the best teams, you know, on, on, in the NBA. So maybe this was just, um, unfortunately, due to injury, like the sort of counterpunch that they needed. Maybe they feel a little bit more confident now. Um, and, you know, like they, they'll pull out game five and game six in, in dominant fashion. So you never know with this Bucks team. But I do want to talk about, one, you know, P.J. Tucker and his job defending KD. Um, again, like watching, watching P.J. Tucker uh, on the Rockets all those years, I knew, like, if you're a Warriors fan, you know that he's the best KD defender in the league just because the only way to guard him is to get under him, you know, not to try to match his every step. You just have to be physical with him, and P.J. Tucker is, is just so good at that. Um, but then the second part, I know a lot of people were talking about, like, oh, now now we get to see what KD looks like without help, right? Like, James Harden was on the Rockets, like Steph Curry was this year. 
Um, I mean, I don't like that narrative, of course, because in the NBA, you have to have help to win, right? Like, no one ever wins without help. But part of it is also true. You know, like, Julio, you were talking about Katie's the best player in the world right now, and I said it was Steph. And part of it was because when, when shit gets tough, when you get a little bit of resistance, and now you don't have Kyrie and Harden to, you know, uh, you, don't, you don't have Kyrie and Harden to rely on, the defenses are going to collapse around you, right? Like, so kind of like how Steph Curry this year was seeing three bodies around him every possession. Like, at some point, you're going to have to show me that you're so good at this game that you are getting past the first and second waves of resistance that the defense let's is make some, at you. Let's make something clear, though. And, K- Katie don't see them. He don't, he don't see the defense. Let's be honest. Katie out there playing by himself, him in the rim. He's going to get his 30. But where does the rest of your offense come from is the, is the question. Right. So again, this is this is this is the thing with me too. Can he make sure that even though he might get his thirty, he's not getting thirty on twenty five shots, right? And and the question is, can he do get his shots efficiently? Well, shit, he better take twenty five shots while, while not hijacking the offense to make it where again, because if you hijack the offense, you're basically saying I have to score like ninety points a game to win. That that's impossible, right? So again, it's going to have to be a good balance in a in a wing shot maker like KD, like like I've said about wings, you know, all along, they're not naturally wired to play make, I think. And he's going to have to, without Kyrie and Harden, have to rewire his game a little bit to make it, um, you know, easier for guys like Bruce Brown and, and Joe Harris. You see, here, here's my thing. I, I want to add, and I knew that was going to get brought up. Um, just like we've, we've talked about this before. Steph... Or Russell Westbrook. Steph is obviously much, much better. Now, who in the regular season, outside of, I, I do want to say outside of this season, because Steph just went just insane out of his mind. We all acknowledge that if we have a team of bums, who do we want probably carrying that team? Who could probably carry that team a little bit further? Russell Westbrook. Steph. Now, does it mean you're better? No, because Steph is better. But does it mean you can carry a lesser team further? Perhaps. Just same thing with James Harden and Kevin Durant. Who's better? And and the discrepancy that gap isn't as big as Steph and, and Westbrook. But to uh, to me, obviously, you guys know this. KD is better than James Harden. But who can carry a team of lesser than is James Harden. So if there's one guy on that Nets team that I would choose to be healthy and the other two uh, uh, injured, I would choose Harden to be healthy. And KD and Kyrie to be out. I think that's an important discussion that we all have to have because, you know, just because you're the best player doesn't mean you can carry the lesser thans further. That's a whole different discussion, in my opinion. I think it's going to be interesting just to see. I mean, not to see that. I mean, we know KD still have some left in the tank, but all year I feel like he's taken somewhat of a backseat to the other dudes just because he could and just because, you know, he didn't want to be a selfish player and James Harden and Kyrie obviously need the ball in their hands. And, you know, he was cool with dropping his 20 and then, you know, popping off for like a 30, 40-point game here and there. But now it's like everybody's looking to you. This 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 ain't, you know, Golden State where you got Steph too and you got Clay. This ain't even fucking OKC where you got Russell Westbrook even, you know, with his flaws, right? But this is Kevin we need you right now. So it's going to be very interesting because we haven't seen him play in this position before with actual stakes. So I want to know, like, I mean, Juice, how many shots does he put up? How What's his efficiency looking like? 
is he dropping a 40 ball and then they lose, you know, 90 to 120? It was his defense looking like on the other end. Like, we've never seen this KD before. And, yeah, he's looked pretty healthy, but he's still coming off an injury to an extent. Like, we really get to see exactly the extent to which KD still has something left in the tank. He also, I mean, again, just like I mentioned, he needs Joe Harris to freaking hunt his shots. Any glimpse of daylight that you get, that ball, that's what I'm telling Joe Harris, that ball better be going up. I don't care if if you're freaking three feet off the three-point line. That ball better be going up. And it's not like he can't, uh, uh, you know, dribble, pull up from, from three. He can do that off his screen. So I think Steve Nash has had to come up with a lot of actions, and D'Antoni as well. Even though D'Antoni's been running an offense with James Harden the last few years, just, you know, five out, I'm going to sauce you up, and then, you know, just kick out. You have to run more actions. You need movement. You, you, you can have less movement when you have better players and those three superstars you need more action the le- the lesser the players are and then P- on pj tucker i mean that defense was actually the best in game like with within a one game sample size the best defense i've ever seen played on kd were there a few fouls yes did i think it was dirty like steve nash said no that's playoff basketball bro and, and as much as i love kd you got to be able to, to 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 power through that and um yeah, you just got to be physical. It's almost like the, uh, uh, how the Cavs would guard Steph and just be extra physical with with Steph and push him around. Same thing with KD. Same thing with KD. Qu- question for y'all. Who is currently the best playmaker on the Brooklyn Nets as it stands right now with Harden and Kyrie out? Uh, it's still, don't it's say Blake because Don't say Blake. It, no, it's still KD because to me it's KD because you, you can only be a playmaker if you can create um, advantage mismatches basically, and no one else on that team is creating mismatches based on their you know handle or shooting ability or whatever. Um, that being said, though, like who might get the most assists is probably like Bruce Brown, I think. Um, but I mean, yeah. KD's your best playmaker because he's the only one that can create um, advantages on that team right now. Bruce Brown is the other thing I wanted to touch on. That see see. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's the type of creativity that I need more in uh, in coaches and, and that Steve Nash is going to have to bring out the bag, especially with, again, it's like... You're talking I, about like last second shots? No, 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 not, not even that. Uh, uh, it's, it, this Nets team is like the Nets team at the beginning of the season when they didn't have James Harden, but they had Karis LeVert, uh, Torian Prince, and Jared Allen. Now you take those three guys away, you take Kyrie away, and you take freaking Spencer Dinwiddie away. That, that's fu- they're, they're like the Nets at the beginning of the season minus those five guys. You have to – this goes to my earlier point that you have to be super creative. Now how does that creativity kind of uh, uh, manifest? When teams are playing offensively against the zone, most teams like to put their three guards, perimeter players on the perimeter, and their two you know bigs or whatever – on the inside, flashing to the middle, you get it to the middle, and then you obviously open everything up. Something that impressed me last year with Frank Vogel and the Lakers, you put Rondo in the middle. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like the, it's the same mentality, same uh, kind of game plan of, hey, I'm going to run this pick and roll just like the Warriors did with Draymond Green, but I'm going to get it. My, my, my objective is to get it to Draymond so he penetrates and can make a good decision with the ball while he's. Uh, in the paint, it's not like you get it to a big because bigs don't know how to freaking pass 
they don't know footwork feet you know uh how to manage their feet so that's something uh that the nets and steve nash tinkered with two games ago uh yeah two games ago where they would have bruce brown setting the screens you get it to him and it's not that bruce brown is this all-time you know playmaker he's not he's not like a rondo but i'd rather have a guards more guard centric player than a big in a pick and roll like that because you 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 kind of you know how to contort your body more you can do floaters you can pass the ball out you can do more with the guard when they're the one setting the screen and rolling even though they might be at a disadvantage at finishing at the rim you can make more things happen on on, uh just creating things for your teammates and that's the type of thing uh creativity that steve nash is gonna have to pull out because you can't just run uh freaking you know nick claxton and jeff green setting these screens and expecting them to play make you gotta you know make these guards uh do some of that playmaking and do some abnormal things because that's what it's going to take you you're not going to be comfortable if you want to pull out this room i was going um, to i think that's a really good point and i think that's like perhaps an evolution that we're going to see more and more in basketball is that the, you you use somebody who's more or better equipped with the ball in their hands as the screener um as opposed to somebody who you know can only really get an alley-oop off um, but I do think that there's potential for the two-man game between Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant because in terms of guys who, to me at least, have the most instinctual aptitude for passing the ball, Blake Griffin's probably the best on that team right now. At least for his early Piston days, if he was able to bring that sort of bag out, he was really good passing the ball when he was actually cared about, gave a fuck about playing basketball when he was in Detroit. He could really move the thing around a little bit. Um, almost to the same effect that we see, like, Gordon and Jokic work, I can see Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin working, if that kind of makes sense. Because you have the the verticality of a Blake Griffin and then the scoring ability of a Kevin Durant. Should Kevin Durant be able to recognize things to the ability that Jokic can? It's kind of out of the park, but you kind of have to play things out of the park if you're Steve Nash right now. Like Julio mentioned, you have to be a little bit more creative with how you go about doing things, but I don't know. Like, you, you really, you get to see, A, Kevin Durant's ability, and B, like, Steve Nash, I know you came here thinking it was easy chips, but you're going to have to fucking coach now, bro. Like, you're going to have to really pull something out the hat. If, if you are Nash and D'Antoni, maybe you have to look at the Warriors' days, KD take, because, like, what Steve Kerr would do a lot, and then this is the part that made KD unhappy at the end, um, but, you know, they, they would put him as the entry pass hub in the post, Right, and they would have cutters going around around him, and they would have, you know, Steph screen for Clay, and you know they would have like Javale McGee back cuts forever. And Katie's a very, you know, like he's not gonna, he's not like a a pick and roll playmaker, or, you know, like a Trey Young, but like he'll deliver the right pass, obviously, and, and he'll be able to see over um, the defense. So the only question is whether the Nets players are used to cutting and doing things off the ball when. You know, KD has the ball in his hands because the default for them right now is like, oh, if KD has the ball and he's making moves, let's just you know let him cook. So that so that that will probably have to change. And the last point about KD is that um, you're talking about like what what can we expect to see him look like um, in Game Five for the rest of the series. And the thing is, I don't think he really cares about his reputation anymore like that. Mm-hmm. And by saying that, I mean I don't think he really rests his legacy on like winning and losing anymore but if he like does care or you know if he just happens to it like awakens within him 
you know, that like uber competitive spirit. Um, I think that he should expect that he can get 50 points, you know, and take command of the game. It's just like, it, it, it's in a weird spot where everyone on the Nets and especially Katie doesn't feel like they care that much about winning. You know, like, I don't, I don't know if they're going to go 125% just to pull off the, uh, you know, unexpected, which kind of sucks because I would love to see it. Again, we haven't seen KD like that since his MVP year, I think. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if, if it does happen, it would be great. It's just, it's hard to expect it out of him when he seems so comfortable with whatever the conditions are already. One, one thing I did want to touch on um, is that, okay, I know a lot of injuries have happened this year and different injuries happen <clears throat> in a lot of years. But on the Bucks end of things, I kind of want to point out how many, I don't want to say breaks they've gotten, but... Mm-mm. Nope, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Uh, no, 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 we're not doing that. Make, a, chip make, a, chip a chip is a chip is a chip is a chip. If you don't make it happen now, you got to... I'm okay. Maybe not overhaul this team, but man, you're you just you you've run out of excuses. First, it was oh, Braun is in the east, bounces to LA. Oh, then who beats you? Kawhi, Kawhi is going to the west too. East is wide open. You lose to Miami when Simmons was out last year, and Philly's not even a, a great team this year. Boston flails and just disappoints everybody. The Nets get hurt this year. I mean, Embiid is hurt this year. I mean, bro, if you don't make it out of the East and possibly, you know, get that chip, we'll see probably the Suns coming out of the West, uh, and they're a great team. But if you if you don't even get out of the East, bro, you're, you, you cannot tell me that this whole, you know, these last few years have been enormous disappointments. So I, I thought you were going in a different direction with that, and I applaud you for not doing so. Because I do agree with you, like, if there's any time, now is the time if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. But should they accomplish what I think we all can agree is, like, very feasible, feasibly within their grasp right now, which is getting to the finals and potentially winning an NBA championship, right now, let's establish that shit is not no fucking asterisks. I know folks got hurt. I know some weird shit happened. It was a weird year for injuries, but that's not no fucking asterisk season. That is a championship, and it's a well-deserved and well-earned championship. Whoever walks away with it, whether that's the Bucks, whether if KD pulls some crazy shit out of his ass, whether that's the Phoenix Suns, whoever the hell wins this championship, it's an earned championship just like any others because everybody is playing under the same conditions. Just some unlucky breaks for certain teams. It's not fucking... Yeah. Is, is, we, we're not putting no... I, I just see it happening right now. It's like, as soon as the Lakers were out, people were just like, uh... Fuck it. Weird, weird year. Weird. It's like, ugh, I don't like Well, it. I mean, being healthy is... Part of the game. Like, like, te- like teams invest so much resources and money into trying to stay healthy. And then there's there's a reason for that. Like, that's that's perhaps the biggest part of the game, right? And, again, Phoenix and their well-known program for keeping dudes healthy, they're the healthiest team in the league this year. The regular season, they're the only team left without any major injuries in the postseason. So, again, if you're, if you're healthy, like... It's not. It's not like coincidence, right? If you're healthy, there's there's entire, um, like you, you put you invest a lot of time and then resources and you know game planning and everything to stay healthy. I I agree with you 100. Actually, 99.99 percent of the time, because if I'm speaking to Jay Crowder, then it, it's a 
it's a fake championship ring if you guys win. Only if I'm speaking to Jay Crowder, though. What? What? When did this beef? Because he Jake? said the Lakers championship was a fluke. You were on the Miami Heat team. If you would have won, you would have. You would not have said that. And this year's even worse with injuries. So I don't want to hear crap from you. When I'm speaking to everybody else, I'm saying 100% saying. But when I'm speaking to your your ass, I, I you know uh, the same is not going for you. Bro, you keep. I, I mean, I don't know. Jay note, Carter said just that really quickly. I'm not saying, uh, by no means am I saying, like, the Lakers ship is, you know, whatever, Mickey Mouse championship aspect. But, like, you can't tell me that there's a difference between the bubble playoffs and these playoffs. And the whole thing about the bubble playoffs are, like, the hardest championship in, you know, in, in LeBron's career. I mean, you're not seeing role players go off for, you know, crazy sh- shooting nights like you are in the bubble. And I think there's a reason for that. The, the fan experience, the environment, all of that, you know, is, like... I think people forgot just how much of a deal, like how much of a big deal that was. And now you're finally seeing the kind of effects of home field advantage of, you know, having crowds playing in big arenas, you know, not having piped in sound, you know, all, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, last thing I did want to touch on the Bucks is uh, something I referenced when we were speaking about Paul George is that Giannis, he, again, I really do think he performs well when the pressure's not on him. When the when the nets are up 2-0, you go, but you're at home. People have no expectations for you to win the series anymore. You outperform everybody and anybody. Him and Chris Middleton each had 15 points. I think it was uh, 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 their first 30 points in the game. I think it was 30 to like 10 or something ridiculous. They were just killing the nets. How did he? I was tweeting. I was tweeting that game just like insanely. How did you get your points? You attack aggressively. You not only get your team inspired, you get yourself going, and the baskets just come easier to you. You know, and when you you can, he can't fall into those baits that the Nets are probably going to set for him, and that they have set for him. That once he gets those points. It's like, oh, now I got to be Kobe. Now I got to be KD. Now I got to be MJ. And, you know, just any mid-range shooter, you stick to your game plan. You're not going to be those dudes ever, ever. And just stick to being you. Because being you is playing like a modern-day Shaq. Stick to that, and you'll be great. You'll be good to go. You don't need to meet the expectations of all these dudes um, and, and just try to be like them because he almost to me he almost cost them game three. He had an amazing game stats wise, but you almost you almost cost that game for your team. And now that Kyrie's hurt, oh now I can go all out again. So these expectations when they drop, he performs great. And I I don't want to shoe on Giannis because he's a great dude, but it's just you know him him and PG man. It's like it's, didn't it's he say after. Didn't he say after game three because someone asked him about it? He said like, "Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like do what what comes instinctually to me. Like if I take those, you know." Maybe he said, "I'm gonna keep shooting." Yeah, like I'm gonna keep. Yeah, shooting. I mean, like I mean, if you say like that's well, your instincts are are not good. Then you know, like <laughs> he's been, like that that that's all I could think about like, when he was saying that in his post game press conference. Like if that's what your instinct is, then you know, like like you just have to. I don't know, man. Like. You, you might need some, you know, like training or something because, like, the instincts are not good. And people who don't – I don't want to say who don't know basketball, but, like, analysts saying, 
oh, Giannis, like, just don't shoot threes anymore. It's not about sh- it's just not shooting threes. You you don't know shit about bat. I'm sorry. You don't know crap about basketball, bro. It's not just about, like, refusing not to shoot threes. There are some threes that I will allow that are super in rhythm and, like, hey, if you're in rhythm, it's in the flow of the offense, and, you know, you, you can perhaps get yourself going. It can't be your first shot in the game, but if you're going, hit some mid-range shots and then step out, those threes are okay. It's not about not shooting threes. People just don't understand basketball. You have to be in the flow of the game, in the flow of the rhythm, hit some mid-range shoot shots, then maybe step out and, and, and shoot a three. And if it doesn't work out, stick to what you do. And it's also about not shooting these uh, hesitation pull-ups that he loves to do. It looks horrible. And, and, and when he's posting up and doing turnaround jumpers, fadeaways, stop, stop. Or, or when he, he's posting up, then he faces up like AD or like KD, does a little jab step, one dribble shot. Drive in and kick out or drive in and dunk. Play like modern day Shaq. That is all. It's not that complicated. Don't cost your, your team a game. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Julio Martinez just says, be yourself, Giannis. That's who you are. You're the only you, and the only you can be you the way that you can. <laughs> I'm tired, man. Let's get up out of here. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hoop and Holler. As always, go follow the socials at Hoop Holler Pod. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Um, engage. Do whatever. Y'all, y'all don't be listening to me. Y'all probably don't listen to the end of this episode. Matter of fact, if you're listening to the end of this episode, how about this? If you're listening to the end of this episode right now, and you go on Hoop Holler Pod on Twitter and comment. What should be the uh, the, the word, yo? Be yourself. Comment, be yourself. <laughs> At Hoop Holler Pod. We'll do something nice for you. I don't know what it is. I'm just making this shit up right now. But we'll do something. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler Podcast.